to Bible Shots today, whether you're joining us here in the cathedral or whether you're joining us on the internet over Facebook or Zoom, wonderful to have you here. My name is Will Longbottom and I'm part of City Bible Forum Hobart. City Bible Forum is an organisation that seeks to create places for dialogue and discussion around the bigger questions of life, faith and meaning. And today we're broadcasting to you from the beautiful St. David's Cathedral in Hobart. Today we're continuing a new series of Bible shots, which is a half hour hit of something stimulating from the Bible. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at questions of politics and climate change. And over the next two weeks, we'll be looking at questions of racism and inequality. So we hope that you'll join with us again next week. My colleague at City Bible Forum, Aaron Johnstone, will be speaking to us in a moment about racism and the Bible. But first, let me set the scene a bit with a reading from the Bible. If you'd like to follow along, you can find it at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And it goes, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down to Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Please welcome Aaron. All right, uh, good to see you guys. Uh, welcome back for our third week of Bible Shots, uh, where we're trying to answer the question, does Christianity have a PR problem? So far, we've covered politics and climate change, as Wilbur we said, and then uh, the next two weeks, we'll move to themes of, of justice and inequality. And it'll kind of be a similar theme over those two weeks, and we'll look at it uh, first from the, like a, a racial perspective and then uh, from an economic perspective. Uh, so today, yeah, I'm glad you can join us for our talk on racism. Now, before I begin, I feel it has to be said that uh, I myself have never been a victim of racism, uh, never in my life. So I'm not going to be able to come from it uh, from a lived experience point of view, but 
I know that there is real pain and suffering and, and trauma that people have faced uh, and that they probably still face every day because of their race around the world. I believe racism is real and that it goes beyond people being called uh, just offensive names, but that there are systemic issues as part of our society, meaning people that aren't, uh, they're not treated equally, don't have access to the, the same opportunities to thrive. Uh, and there's, yeah, there's just a whole host of problems uh, with this. And it will take a lot of hard work and courage to change these things. Having said that, I don't think you can lay the blame squarely on Christianity, as some people might be prone to do. Sure, Christians have made it uh, worse at times throughout history. Absolutely they have. But I'm going to contend that it's not due to, to theological beliefs, as if uh, the Bible has necessarily created these racial injustices. Uh, I think there's a lot more to it than that. So that's what we'll be looking at today. Uh, like with much of this series, I feel like history paints a very different picture uh, to what the, the vision of the Bible intends and what we see. And so today we'll, com we'll compare the two, uh, history and the Bible, uh, to, to answer the, the question, does Christianity perpetuate racism? And uh, I'm, I'm going to pray to kick off briefly. So uh, join with me if you're comfortable in doing so. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that you created all people in your image. Uh, this is just such a powerful idea, and uh, we pray that it will be really helpful uh, for us as we look at it today, and that once again you can help us see Christianity and the Bible and Jesus afresh because of uh, the uh, eternal truths that you've given us uh, in your Bible. So please help us today. Uh, and we pray for those who have gone through uh, yeah, serious pain and suffering and trauma because of their race. Um, yeah, we, we, as we look at Jesus one who suffered injustice, we pray that there'll be real hope there um, as we look at him. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't breathe, I can't breathe. These are words that have become synonymous with racial tension and the, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, sweeping the globe uh, this year in 2020. And while issues of justice and race, uh, race relations are complex and multifaceted, the world has just looked on with horror as people of colour have suffered unjust deaths due to racially uh, motivated violence. And it leaves a really bitter taste in the mouth, doesn't it? Because there's such unnecessary deaths on the one hand, but seemingly so inconsequential when it does happen and when it continues to happen over and over again. When is change going to happen? Why is it so slow? Why is resistance so high? We all want justice and yet the world is full of injustice. And history is a testament both to human ingenuity, but also human depravity, unfortunately. So for today, I want to start by looking at some of the historical black spots that have typically been associated with uh, Western colonial colonialism and European Christianity. And the best place to begin is in our own backyard, I think. So we're, we're going to look at the historical record, and it's good to start with uh, Australia. So on January uh, 20. 1788, the first fleet arrived in Australia, and so began the, the work of turning this kind of vast and punishing landscape into a new colony for Britain. Like many of the, the European settlers, there was a strong Christian backdrop uh, to the founding of these new nations and colonies, uh, with the Reformation and then the Counter-Reformation dramatically changing the nature of Christendom, uh, and, and churches everywhere for that matter. It meant that the majority of European countries considered themselves either Catholic or Protestant. And these cultural religious identities made their way to the new lands. But this was also during the time of enlightenment as well, when scepticism of traditional religion was becoming increasingly accessible through education and literature, and it was adaptable as well, culturally. So this, on top of the first settlements being largely convict populations, 
meant that Christianity was not as culturally binding or agreed upon in the same way it would have been centuries earlier. But nonetheless, horrible atrocities were committed against Indigenous Australians. Horrible. Roy Williams, in his book, Post-God Nation, goes through Australia's history with religion and Christianity, and he says that it was a commonly, view, uh, commonly held view that the killing of Aboriginal people ought not to be regarded as a crime, let alone a capital crime uh, during that time. One quote from the, the 1840s gave a common uh, example of strategies used by settlers. And so there's a guy here called Mr. Hutton uh, that they're talking about. It said, Mr. Hutton avowed his policy to be terror, to keep the natives in subjection by fear and to punish them wholesale by tribes and communities. Uh, if a member of a tribe offended, destroy the whole. He believed they must be exterminated. And quotes like this aren't that un uncommon of what it was like. And while these perpetrators carrying out these acts of terror were very rarely devout or committed Christians, the, ch the church certainly bears some responsibility. Roy Williams writes, too many respectable Christians were dismissive of indigenous people and complicit in atrocities. They were not by and large the instigators, but by their silence, their action, uh, sorry, their inaction, their turning of a blind eye, they let evil men get away with theft and rape and murder. Worse still, some co-opted Christianity to defend the indefensible. So it's worth familiarizing ourselves with the history of our country and to grieve for the, the suffering and, and misery that Indigenous Australians have gone through over the last few centuries here in our backyard. And unfortunately, these dark and cruel histories are all too common around the world. Uh, another historical black spot for the church has un, uh, undoubtedly been our complicity in the, the African slave trade and the subsequent struggle for descendants of slaves ever since. I remember watching um, the movie 12 Years a Slave there's a picture I'll never forget. It gives this harrowing depiction of the, the horrible conditions that African-Americans were forced to work under. Uh, incredibly long hours, regularly being beaten and tortured, having the, their women raped, many of them being killed, simply for not knowing their place uh, before the white man. And I remember when I watched it at the cinemas, uh, there was a, a group of girls behind us uh, that were joking around and happy at the start of the movie, but for about half of it, I just heard this quiet sobbing behind me throughout half the movie as they saw what was unfolding. This brutal depiction of how cruel people can be. The thing is, it should bring us to tears, shouldn't it? Horrible things have happened, and we've got to accept that. Thankfully though, due to abolitionists in the UK, so people like uh, William Wilberforce and many others after him, the tide began to turn uh, around in European countries and settlements. But people weren't gonna give up easily or without a fight for that matter. The American Civil War was uh, literally fought over slavery, uh, amongst other things, with the, the Southern states, the, the Confederates, wanting to keep the institution of slavery um, because the, the, economic, the economic benefits of, of free labor were just too, too hard to give up. And the thing is, many churches went along with it, turning a blind eye because the, the times were good. Not only were they passive in speaking out against the atrocities and the, the denial of human rights going on, Many denominations actively fought to, to maintain the status quo. In his book, The Colour of Compromise, Jamar Tisby gives a, a guided tour on some of the, the shocking and inhumane acts that were regularly done to slaves. But it didn't end there when slavery was abolished either. He goes on to, to outline the, the ongoing mistreatment that African-Americans went through uh, decades after slavery was abolished. And perhaps the most chilling picture of all was the, the Jim Crow era of, of lynching. 
just the sheer terror that would be uh, violently on display, even, even celebra celebrated uh, gleefully during times of uh, public lynching, there was just this truly sickening example of human evil. Black victims were often tortured, beaten and killed over minor or, or even simply perceived offences. They'd then often be uh, hung on trees in public places, sometimes even on black church properties to send a, a warning to the rest of the neighbourhood. Maximum effect, on a Sunday morning too. And I'd give more accounts, but they're just too shocking and violent and humiliating and dehumanising to, to go into. But it's worth looking up if you're interested in this and if you just want to know what it was like. Look up what happened to Luther and Mary Holbert in 1904. Look up what happened to Mary Turner simply for speaking out about her husband being murdered in a, in a lynching incident. She was violently killed while eight months pregnant. And these things are to our shame, both for the wider culture and for the church. We should lament and grieve these things. And while thankfully we've seen progress from those dreadful times, we, we can't pretend that everything has been fixed or that, that racism doesn't exist at all. There are still a heap of socioeconomic problems, problems with law enforcement, incarceration, job opportunities, wage gaps, insufficient uh, government assistance and predatory business practices that go on unregulated. So modern history hasn't been a ringing endorsement for Christianity and race relations. There's a lot, a lot of work to, to be done still. But it's important to stress that these actions haven't been carried out due to fiercely protected biblical doctrines. These actions have largely happened because Christians have neglected biblical doctrine, I want to suggest. And so I want to do some work in the Bible now to, uh, to see what it says about race and racism uh, and find a way forward together by looking at the Bible. And the first place I want to start uh, is from the Old Testament. And that's by briefly talking about how God views humanity and the entire human race. Uh, and that is with universal dignity. So the opening pages of the Bible uh, talk about humanity as being made in the image of God, or the, the Imago Dei. God creates man from the dust and woman from man and, and pours something of himself into humanity. We're all imbued with this in, intrinsic dignity, and purpose and value and status and the sense of the divine, uh, a sense of destiny right from the start. And it, and it continues on throughout the Bible. Acts 17, uh, verses 26, 28, talk about us coming from one man, or in the, the King James Version, it says uh, we come from one blood. Because beneath the skin, we're all the same, and God is not far from each of us. Galatians 3.28 says that there is no man, woman, Jew, Greek, Gentile, slave, free, all are one in Christ Jesus. And it's a similar story with Romans 10, uh, verse 12. Or 1 Peter 2 talks about the priesthood of all believers, where through Jesus we're, we're all sacred office holders, able to come to the Father through the Son in that way. No one can be deprived of that spiritual connection. God made us all to be in relationship with him, but also to be in relationship with each other. God sees us all the same as equals and, and crowns us with that special dignity. And so this should shape how we treat others. And the embodiment of this uh, ethic that we should be uh, using, it, it comes from Jesus himself. So up until uh, when Jesus comes, the, the Jewish re religion is largely localised and insular, concerned with the, the nation of Israel and Jerusalem and the temple, these sorts of things. There's a strong connection with the land and people and place. 
And now there are still snippets of, of God's love and concern for the nations. For example, all nations were blessed through Abraham and his descendants. Uh, Israel is called to be a light to the nations so that uh, they will revere and worship Yahweh themselves. Uh, Israel are to be welcoming to, to sojourners and foreigners as they travel through. Some even become uh, Israelites, despite not belonging to the 12 tribes of Israel. And then you've got prophets like Jonah, who are, who are actually sent out to foreign lands to, to warn of God's judgment. And what's more, the people listen, they repent. So there are snippets of God's love and, and concern for the nations uh, apart from Israel as well, the nations around Israel. But when Jesus comes, well, Christianity forms and, and it becomes truly global in, in its focus and in its scope. It's the, the universal fulfillment of, of Judaism, particularly after the apostles come on the scene, which we'll get to a bit later. Most of Jesus' ministry plays out in this Jewish-Palestinian context. Uh, but he does have some really inter interesting interactions with some uh, Gentiles, as well as some interesting teachings. And probably the most, notab noticeable, uh, most notable parable, rather, is uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, almost everyone has heard uh, the idea of being a Good Samaritan, but I suspect that not many people have read it these days. Um, so it's worth us uh, reading it. That's what Wilbur looked at before, uh, what he read. And what happens is that you've got this man who goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho and uh, he's mugged and he's beaten and he, he's left in a horrible state. Uh, the ESV translation puts it as half dead. So presumably he's probably laying in a pool of his own blood, bruised, barely conscious, if at all. And you can assume as well that this man was a traveller and not Jewish because locals knew how dangerous that road was. Anyway, it, it says that by chance a priest is going down the road. And surely you, you expect him to stop and do the right thing and help. But what does he do? Well, instead, he does what you want to do when you see someone you don't want to talk to. Crosses to the other side of the road and pretends that he doesn't see him. He ghosts the guy. Blanks him. And not only this, but then it happens again with the Levite priest. One of, one of the people in charge of looking after the temple and the sacrifices he, of all people, should be used to, to blood and mess and cleaning up. But he walks on by as well. Either he's too important or just too indifferent to uh, the suffering of someone not like him. Next up, someone finally comes to the man's aid. And it's a Samaritan. Why is this significant? Well, the Samaritans are generally a community that are loathed by the, the Jewish people. They're outside, outsiders. They're, they're people that experience their own form of racism and rejection from the Jewish people. The Samaritan helps the man, takes him to an innkeeper, pays from his own pocket and ensures that he recovers. And Jesus says, that's who we should be like. We should be like that. Your neighbour is the one suffering and we can be a neighbour to them regardless of our position or our background. We can show mercy. We can show mercy. We can show compassion. We can show generosity. We can show sacrifice. We can make a sacrifice for them. And that's what Jesus is saying. Go and do likewise. And that's what I think the church is supposed to be like. A place where we can all come together as people made in God's image with dignity and status and equality before God, but also a place where we can love our neighbour and, and care for those who are marginalised, downtrodden and, and suffering. And what's more, God hates injustice. He, he implores his people to act on it. Isaiah chapter 10 verses 1 to 2 says, 
Woe to those who make unjust laws, to, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Or in Jeremiah 22, verse 3, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the right of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Those are just a few examples, but the Bible has heaps of examples throughout. It's concerned with justice. God is very concerned with injustice. But we'll, we'll look at a bit more of that next week when we kind of look more at the, the economic uh, things about uh, oppression and injustice. Uh, but yeah, today was, let's stick to the topic. The final thing I'll, I'll mention from a biblical point of view is that the global uh, vision that the Bible has. So the Great Commission, uh, it's the final words that Jesus utters in his time on earth. And he says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And behold, I'm with you until the very end of the age. So Christianity, not only is it saying that we're all made in the image of God, one blood, one in Christ Jesus, not only that, not only is it saying that everyone has the same automatic intrinsic value, and not only is it concerned with showing acts of mercy and compassion and justice, but finally, it's also concerned with spreading the love of God to all nations, to, to the very ends of the earth. And Jesus' death and resurrection, through that, the, the apostles, after that, they become the key messengers of Christianity and the, the pioneers of the Christian church. So it goes beyond Jerusalem and Israel to become global in scope and focus. Paul and some of the other apostles and disciples, they, they spread far, far and wide, starting new churches in new towns, new cities, new regions, even new countries. And this continues over the centuries. But in the last couple of hundred years, it, it's exploded even further, particularly with uh, technological advances and, and the cost of travel. It's, it's just so easy to get about now. Well, except for when a global pandemic hits, of course. But Christianity is now in basically every country and has reached more people groups than ever before. The church truly is global. And Christians, as I said, can travel to basically any country and know that they'll have a home there, a community that welcomes them and has fellowship with them. And that's a beautiful thing, I think. Not only this, though, it's also a, a wonderful taste of what Christians can expect in the next life. The book of Revelation is the, the final book in the Bible, and it has a number of vivid metaphors and visions for what the, the end of times and the afterlife will, will look like. And one of them is a picture of heaven with this global representation. It says, uh, this is Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. You see, the Christian idea of heaven, where we meet our maker and celebrate him together in final and eternal community, it's, it's a stunning and beautiful representation of, what, of life as it's meant to be. No tears, no oppression, no injustice, no suffering, no death. But peace, reconciliation, equality, and true life, thanks to Jesus. Christianity can and should look something like that, shouldn't it? It won't be perfect here on earth while sin and death remain, but we can strive for these things as we look forward to, to eternity. 
Christianity at its best is a life-giving force for good and, and, and social change and renewal. And so to wrap up, I want to give six quick reasons why I don't think Christianity perpetuates racism. So six quick reasons. And the first one is uh, biblical reasons. So we've gone over a lot of this. All, we're all created in the image of God. Uh, one blood, there's that strong... Uh, there's a strong contrast, I think, as well, just to, it has to be said, to other religions and worldviews. This is a really revolutionary idea, uh, particularly when we compare it with things like secular humanism and materialism. You see, when you lose the idea of being made in the image of God, it's easy to see things uh, like Aristotelian logic or, or social Darwinism or simply overt white supremacy taking their place. But for Christianity, there's a strong ethic of inclusion and love for the outsider particularly those who are suffering. So the first reason is biblical reasons. The second reason is sinful reasons. Racism happens in every country, not just countries with a, with a Judeo-Christian heritage. And it's not just a white person problem either. And I don't mean that to be a cop-out for the, the struggles that our country and other Western countries have gone through and, and struggles everywhere, but the thing is that these are real struggles and that they need to be addressed. But... Historically, ethnic and minority groups have always been marginalised and oppressed by groups in power. Think of China and the, the Uyghur Muslims, or think of the, the Hindu persecution of the Rohingyas, or, or the Tutsis and the, the, the Hutus in the Rwandan genocide. And of course, anti-Semitism has been well documented throughout the centuries. So for this reason, I don't think Christianity perpetuates racism, racism any more than any other religion or worldview. Christians can be influenced by our culture just as much as anyone else. And sometimes we go astray because of it. The third reason is uh, missionary activity continues today. So it didn't just happen around the, the time of colonialisation. There, there are Christians, like it's, it's happening all the time now as well. There are Christians that are going to some of the, the poorest and most difficult countries in the world. And there are Christians in North Korea, Afghanistan, Indonesia... And they're not going there to, to carry out racist acts or to, to build a name for themselves or to wipe out the culture that they're going to. They're going there to, to love people and, and share the love and hope of Jesus with them, knowing that in some cases it might even cost them their life. Think of uh, in, in Africa where the Boko Haram are. A lot of Christians are in danger there, but missionaries continue to go there. Fourth reason is that Christianity is the most global and adaptable religion and worldview that there is. There's no one single expression of Christianity, and it largely adapts wherever it goes. Now, you may say that, that missionaries go to these places to destroy the culture, but even this is demonstrably false. Christians have been the ones uh, not only to learn the languages of minority groups, but to record them and keep them so that they can use that language and, and, and use it to, to maintain their culture. Many missionaries go with the intention of raising up Indigenous leadership and, and have largely allowed them to express Christianity in their own unique way. Now, of course, some things change when people and communities become Christians. That, that's inevitable, I think. They now live for Jesus rather than their, their previous gods or superstitions. But much of the cultural history and heritage is retained. Rather, Jesus fulfills their story. Go anywhere in the world and Christianity will have a different flavour. And Jesus is always at the centre. The 
Fifth reason, the church itself is empirically uh, the, the best community for cultural inclusion and integration. So in 2014, the Daily Telegraph put out an article called Churches are best social melting pots in modern Britain. Based on a survey of over 4,000 people aged 13 and upwards, the article explained that churches and other places of worship are more successful than any other social setting at bringing people of different backgrounds, backgrounds together, well ahead of gatherings such as parties, meetings, weddings or venues such as pubs and clubs. It doesn't matter whether you are well off or living on the street, church membership is free. Attendance is free. Everyone is welcome and you can come as you are. Now, that doesn't mean that we all stay as we are. The call of the gospel to, to carry our cross and follow Jesus uh, means that we, we all need to change. We all need to put to death our sinful nature and grow in our love for God and our neighbour. But the doors are open to all. And the global vision of the church is actually real and an important part of the, the fabric of most countries, whether it's appreciated or not. And the sixth reason, and this, we'll, we'll wrap up with this, is that the gospel message itself is a beacon of hope for those who suffer unjustly. That Jesus himself was a victim of injustice. In um, 2011, the book The Cross and the Lynching Tree was published. It's written by a guy called James Cone, an African-American Christian man who lived through the, the, the Jim Crow era. And he gives a theological reflection on the, the racial terror that he and many others uh, went through. And he talked about Jesus being seen by the black community as the original lynchee. And that was something that gave them strength, gave strength to the black church. He said this, the cross helped me to deal with the brutal legacy of the lynching tree and the lynching tree helped me to understand the tragic meaning of the cross. In both his life and his death, Jesus went through horrible injustice. One whose very death was suffocation on a tree. The words I can't breathe were words that Jesus understood better than most. You see, Jesus identifies with the marginalised, the powerless and the vulnerable. And he promises justice in the end. It may not be in this life, but he went to glory and promises everyone that the same and equal opportunity to go there with him. And that's what we as Christians wait for, to be ushered into glory. So don't let that chance pass you by. Christianity offers a beautiful picture of community and renewal and genuine hope. And Jesus has something to offer all of us, no matter who you are. And in thinking about racial injustice, I want to say that Jesus is the true hope for the world. I'm going to pray to, to wrap up. Father in heaven, we give thanks once again for Jesus and the cross. We thank you that he suffered unjustly um, and that it was for us. He didn't do it as a, a criminal, uh, someone who, who committed horrible acts of evil himself, but he was, he was sinless and rather he was that victim of injustice. And we, we pray that we'll look to him uh, and that this can be a, just that, that constant motivation uh, for us to, to love our neighbour and to look out for those who are being oppressed and downtrodden. But thank you so much for this hope that we have. Thank you for us who are Christians that we have glory to look forward to. We're all tribes, tongues, people, uh, will be there, represented, uh, gathering around your throne. So we want to uh, give thanks for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, thanks for coming, everyone, and thanks for those who are live streaming. Uh, this was the, the third week, and next week will be the, the final one. We'll look at inequality, particularly from an economic perspective. Uh, but yeah, hope you can join us. Uh, feel free to shoot through any questions that you might have. Uh, but until then, we'll see you next week. Thanks very much.